Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. First of all, put your thinking caps on because these are some questions and comments from my German friend, Torsten Bauer. He regularly sends me thought-provoking emails and suggestions and comments, and so I'm going to address some of those. Thank you, Torsten. The time change of him being in Germany makes it more difficult to connect, but I will do that probably next time. I'll look forward to just having him on live, and you can hear the back and forth, and we can experience it as it happens. But these are questions and comments from the last few months, actually, so I just accumulate them, and I'm going to do them roughly in order of the episodes that he is referencing. But thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. I'm just finished with a national convention, but this is becoming more and more of an international hobby, not just because of Torsten, but I think Fanatics is going to desire to grow the pie by 10x. It's not going to be all just coming from America. Okay, first first question or comment was on episode 612, which was the one on the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule that Torsten and I batted around. And he mentions something, he says similar concept. It's a little bit similar, but it's called Price's Law. It's really not a law. It's a Price's guideline, perhaps. But it, it roughly says that 50% of the work is done by the square root of the total number of people who participate in the work. And he interestingly connects that to the number of hobby content creators and how much useful content will be available as we have an increasing number of creators. And I've had 20 or so content creators at my casual dinners here. Mike Moyney had 50 or 60. Price's Law would suggest if there's 100 content creators out there, 10 of them are probably getting 50% of the action. Obviously, I want to be one of the 10, but I think they're more than 100. I think there's 400 content creators. The square root of 400 is 20. And so if there's 20 that are getting most of the action, most of the work product, it just suggests that even though people are doing kind of the same thing, they're not getting the same results. That means... There's going to be more and more content out there, but as the, the bigger the number, the square root really shrinks that down to where there's going to be an awful lot of content that's not the best. And so you've got to be continuing to figure out as there's a burgeoning number of content creators and things out there. It doesn't mean you just have to go to the most popular ones, but there are going to be a few that gravitate toward the top. Next one from Torsten, commenting on my interview with Jeremy Lee, episode 720 of mine. He said he loves the stories of the dollar boxes. And it occurred to him that maybe he's doing something like that, even though he's in Germany and they're not dollar boxes there, there's no shows, that he he will treat Com C as one big, gigantic dollar box. And he'll pull up a group of shack cards. He'll search for those. He'll sort them by lowest price. And then I guess there have to be a whole bunch of them that are under a buck or under some threshold. And he can just go through and pull out the ones again. The principle of the dollar box is picking out what you want that may be worth more than what you're paying. It, it, it doesn't have to be, but in most cases it, it would be. So he's having fun with that. Again, I, I want to pick out my own cards. I don't want somebody to say, hey, I got some cards for you. And then I don't want some of them. You open a pack, even a pack. It's great that you might get a great card, but you're also not getting exactly what you want. Another good way to Treat Com C as a visible dollar box. 748, Torsten commented about hobby versus retail. He remembers, I reinforced to him that now looking in hindsight, the inserts that came out of retail are generally tougher than their pack odds because retail had a different retention rate. But he didn't have that in Germany. I guess my point in addressing this, Torsten, is I think what is being done in America is coming to Germany, is coming to the rest of the world through Fanatics, through Panini and the World Cup. I think there are going to be different price points. 
different packaging. When you think about hangers, what's the point of hangers? There's a lot of retail that wants to put something on a hook. So not just a box on the shelf, but on a hook. I think that will be expanded as we speak. And I look forward to that. And I hope, Torsten, you have the ability to select from different product configurations. Next was uh, episode 759, my dueling questions, my second one with Grant Sandground, my longtime colleague. And he's agreeing that Upper Deck's introduction of game-used and memorabilia cards, he thinks that's the single biggest innovation in uh, modern cardboard history. It's one of them for sure. He says when he's trying to explain to a non-collector about card collecting, they don't always get it. And I think a lot of things about our industry, people don't get it when you're just telling them about it. If you show them, I think it's a very tactile, visible, visual. I think people get hooked when they see it, when they feel it, and they think, hey, that looks pretty cool. It's small. It doesn't fit in your pocket necessarily. If it's a slab, it'll fit in your pocket, but it doesn't take up a lot of room and has a lot of great attributes. Next was episode 760, the intro icebreaker for the content convo that was in that order. The Chris Sewer, collector, investor, dealer. And he says he's a collector first and a content creator second. I think I'm a content creator first now and maybe a collector slash dealer a second. But he liked the episode because it made him think about it. And he thought about, again, he's like me. He's always trying to look at rules of thumb. And he said, he countered another one that said that 1% of a website's users create nearly all of its content. And I said that's Price's law in that there's a diminishing returns as you get more. On the other hand, that 1% is really important. That makes me think of the regional correspondence. We were getting a million pieces of mail a month back at the peak. And a lot of them had price surveys in there. A lot of them had subscription checks. So we were doing great. I'm not denying that. But uh, we tried to pull out the 1% that really knew what they were talking about. And so we had a number of regional correspondents that we put on quasi-retainer to really get their solid input every month. So they would be mentioned and there'd be recognition, but it wasn't for everybody. So there was a little bit of a screening and we realized implicitly that you're going to get a thousand pieces in the mail and five or 10 of them are going to be from people that you want to get on your team. Next was 771, the episode about junk slabs. I'm mentioning that a junk slab to me is a slab that's worth a lot less than the cost of getting it re-slabbed. And so they're junk cards. There's very little junk wax anymore because the wax has some value because there's either hits in the box of the current cards or there are potentially gradable, pristine cards from the quote-unquote mass overproduced era. And then he says, at any rate, if you bought a box of cards and somebody considered it junk wax, in other words, put a low price on it, it could still be a cool experience. And he says a cool experience with your kids. Hey, Torsten, it's a cool experience for yourself, too. If you do it with kids, that's great. My kids are all grown. If I open a box, I'm not looking at the twinkle in their eye. I'm enjoying it myself. And that is worth something, the act of opening. Finally, the most erudite. (laughs) He mentioned the data analytic problems of overestimating and underestimating and trying to figure out what things are worth. And he mentioned uh, Fermi approximations, which sounds like a physics thing. I'm familiar with the Delphi method or technique where you're iterating toward better estimates. Yeah, I could probably did a, a modification of that. But anyway, it's a way to take, they're not guesses, but they're educated guesses and working toward a really excellent guess. And so he stumbled on something called Stein's paradox. I vaguely remember that. In fact, 
He sent me an article from the Journal of the American Statistical Association from 1975, which, in fact, I actually got tenure because I was published, I think, that exact same year, maybe. I was published in the Journal of American Statistical Association. That's helped me to get tenure. And so there's an article in there in 1975 where I was a member, and I actually got that. So I'm sure I read it at the time. But now you're talking about 47 years ago. I am entitled to not remember exactly. But when I read it and he said, I had to send it to you because it uses Roberto Clemente's 1970 batting average as the illustration to explain Einstein's theorem or paradox or theory in more detail. And so he said, given your background as a former statistics professor and the fact that your favorite player was chosen an example, I want to share the article with you in case you didn't already happen to know it. I probably did read it at the time, but I thank you so much for your thoughtfulness. In fact, it's a smaller world than that even, Torsten. The two co-authors of the paper, Bradley Efren and Carl Morris, I basically know both those guys. They're both older than me. I was the young guy at the time, but there was a sports statistics section of the American Statistical Association. And I did some papers for that. And there were presentations. And I'm sure those guys presented and saw Bradley Efren. Actually, his specialty area was completely overlapping with my dissertation advisor, my highly respected professor that I did my work under for my PhD. And so they were competitors. They were not nemesis, but they were doing some of the similar research. And it was a race to see who could get published first. And Carl Morris, the other co-author, was at one time at the University of Texas. And I think at one time was a possibly moving to SMU. He eventually went to Harvard, a sharp guy. And I do remember that he was a baseball fan. And so I had some overlap. I'm sure I went to one of his seminars. He may have been to one of mine. But the point is, there's some other statisticians besides me who love baseball and the data analytic aspects of baseball. And my secret, as I've I've told many people is that I think I was a really good teacher in college because I used sports examples for teaching statistics. And it just baseball is as good as any of them for allowing for probability and statistics. Like they say in the article, it's a lot more than just counting up or averaging something up. There's a lot more sophisticated things. I read back through the article, Torsten. It is something that I understand a lot of the articles nowadays. I don't know that I'd be able to, but this one I understood. I probably read it at the time. And it's a variation on the regression to the mean. In other words, the article talks about at the beginning of the season, if somebody's batting 400, it is unlikely that is sustainable. It's going to move back toward the league average. And this Stein's method or paradox suggests a way to estimate. If somebody starts out batting 400, that he's going to wind up at 300. If they start out batting 150, like Joey Gallo, he may wind up batting 210, that there are ebbs and flows during the season and you move toward your average, not necessarily the league average, but I think Joey Gallo's better than than batting 150. And I think some of these guys that are in years past who've been in the high 300s, it's just not sustainable. So regression to the mean and being able to estimate things when you don't have data. I don't think that's exactly what we were doing with price guide back in the early days, as, as I've said in another episode, you, you just really get in trouble if you're extrapolating, you know, that if it's $5 yesterday and $10 today and your publication is coming out tomorrow, you just can't say $15. Or if it's one, two, three, four, five, then tomorrow is six. You just can't do that. Right. This was another interesting way to look at it again. Torsten, thank you so much. I don't know that there's going to be a run on 1975 uh, Journal of the American Statistical Association articles. The reason I got into doing price guides is that I think I had thousands of people and tens of thousands of people reading my 
work. And I had dozens or hundreds of people reading my uh, statistical uh, scholarly work. But I enjoyed both those phases of my life, but I'm really happy the way things turned out. And it was a great memory to read this article. Thanks, Torsten. Thanks, other listeners. Uh, send in your questions. I may group them like I do with the Torsten or put them together with others or uh, in some cases, just like with Torsten, I have you on the uh, podcast. Fun to meet new hobbyists that have different perspectives. And again, be back tomorrow. Another episode.